Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When I was two years old, when I was dedicated to the cause of Lucifer, I was at that point a seven-generation witch. I was laying there, practically, and I had her hold me as if I was me. I couldn't talk. I couldn't open my eyes. I, I believe my eyes were rolling back in my head. There was evidence of human sacrifice on this fight. One of my first questions I asked was, God, is there evidence of human sacrifice?
are these guys anyway? Nazis from the moon. <laughs> That's too much. One word from me, and the invasion from the moon begins. Invasion? Y'all must be tripping. Now my question is, what do y'all plan to do about it? Because we just happen to have a little something up our own sleeve. All presidents who start a war in their first term get reelected. Und fegen alle diese Untermenschen von der Erdkarte. Shit, this just keeps getting better and better. We are the promise delivered to all mankind. We raise our hands to one nation. The world is sick, but we are the doctors. All right, guys, and what you have just heard is the audio, and I know it wasn't, uh, it's of course mostly visual, so you might have missed some things there, is the, for the trailer of the film Iron Sky. And we're going to talk about our trip to the Paradise Symposium kind of in the outro section. But I really wanted to get started with the guests that we have on. And so, a little bit of background on this. I'm sitting down, going through emails, and I got a couple of, I don't know, like maybe like one negative email from uh, someone that listened on Dark Matter. I think we've addressed this one before. But then all of a sudden, I get this email that comes up uh, from a guy. That says, my name is Jarmo Piscala, and I am one of the writers of the film Iron Sky. And I had heard of Iron Sky. I never actually had gotten around to see it. It's one of those movies that you see on Netflix, and you're like, should I watch it or not, or or, or what? So I finally did get, to, now that uh, this guy's got in touch with me, and wanted to ask to, told me that he really liked the show, and... I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's get you on because I think there's a lot to talk about, a lot of different themes in the movie Iron Sky. And that is Mr. Jarmo Puscala. And it is 11 o'clock for us. And I believe it's somewhere around like seven o'clock for him because he is in Finland. So this is our first time we've interviewed a guest in Finland. Jarmo, welcome to Conspiranormal. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, I want to start. Well, I want to start talking about the film, and uh, both Rob and I now have had the chance to watch it. And I, I want to talk about kind of like the process for you, because it says in the in the credits original concept by Darmo Pascala. So, what was your kind of original idea with Iron Sky? Where did you get started? Uh, what started you on this path to make this movie? And now there's an Iron Sky 2 coming out, as I understand it, that you were just recently at the Cannes Film Festival about. Yeah, yeah. There's <clears throat> Iron Sky 2, Iron Sky The Coming Race, uh, which is coming next year. Uh, we shot it last year in Belgium and are currently in post-production. Uh, with the first Iron Sky, I mean, it's it's a long story, Um uh, and uh, 
I'll try to make it uh, reasonable, <laughs> of reasonable length. Um, basically, before before Iron Sky, um, we had been making this uh, science fiction parody called uh, Star Wreck, which, well, you can guess which TV show it parodies. Oh, okay, I, we, saw, I saw that yeah. on YouTube yesterday, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We we had been making it since uh, 1999, and we finished it um, in 2005. So it was quite a long process. But with that film, we had absolutely no budget. We were uh, well. I was still in high school when we started that film. It was oh wow. Just yeah, it was just made made just for the fun of making a film, and. Um, but when we released it, it, it was actually the first feature film that was ever made for the internet and, and released online. So it got kind of big. Um, it it was seen quite widely around the world. I think we lost count somewhere around 10 million downloads. But you have okay. to remember that was back in 2005, which was a completely different world. I mean... Back yeah. then, when we released it, uh, our website was actually more popular than YouTube. Yeah, that was kind of the beginning of YouTube. Was around two thousand five yeah. in that time. Yeah, because yeah, nobody really used it back then, so it wasn't uh, too hard to be uh, more popular. But anyway, uh, we had been making that film, and we had been growing into filmmaking, and in, in many ways, it it was a film school for us, and. Um, when we had finished the film, we started wondering what are we going to do next. And we knew we wanted to do another film and we wanted to do it bigger and better and everything like that. And uh, we were throwing out all kinds of ideas. And I had this idea that had been in the back of my head for a long time. And then one night we had been discussing what to do and we were in the sauna at our director's place so basically the uh, core crew of the first film and, and I go like how about we make a film about Nazis on the moon <laughs> and, yeah and well uh, at that time of the evening everyone agrees that okay that sounds like a good idea but it has to be uh, scored by Leipach, and yeah, yeah. we have to get, and we have to get Udo Kier to play in it. <laughs> and yeah, uh, but of course, the next morning the idea seemed far crazier, and uh, we're like, okay, yeah, it, it's it's a good idea, but we probably can't make a film out of it. And we kept thinking of of different ideas, and but we always came back to the Nazis on the moon. And um, eventually, we had to admit that, okay, it is the best idea that we have, and quite possibly the best idea ever, <laughs> and we, we have to do the film. So, But there was many, many nights of, of, yeah, what should we make our next film about, and a bunch of ideas then, well, if we can't come up with anything better, we have to do it about the Nazis on the moon, and then we would laugh, and yeah. But anyway... Yeah, that that was basically how we set out to making the film, and but it's it's even a longer story where the story came from. I mean, it, I think it starts sometimes in the 
early 90s. Uh, I was doing a work experience day for for my junior high school. <laughs> and I was at the library. I, I spent a lot of time there. And I was reading this UFO book in the, when there was nothing else to do. And there was this very short mention of, and some people also think that the flying saucers could be secret weapons built by the Nazis. And that kind of stuck with me. I had been reading all kind of all kind of UFO, book, UFO books and stuff like that when I was a kid because uh, I was always interested in in stuff like that and mysteries and things. Um, but oh, that yeah, stuck me with me. Yeah. And uh, then then at some point it kind of morphed that when when I was growing up, uh, one of the like the big films that came out during my my young days was Independence Day. And it, oh. it's certainly not the best film in the world. But it's the it, sequel it, is it, coming out this year, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's hard to believe that was 20 years ago, man. Yeah. And, <laughs> and actually, the sequel, they are doing one idea that we dropped from Iron Sky because we thought it was too silly, <laughs> which, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Um, Anyway, but yeah, that that was kind of like a, that was like a generational experience for me. So I always had this huge soft f- uh, spot for alien invasion films, and uh, so it kind of morphed into it would be great to make this film with UFOs that are like literally nuts and bolts. And then, of course, the old Nazi idea came back, and and I started to think about the plot and and all kinds of things uh and but basically that that took a long time and it it kind of resurfaced uh when we were thinking of what to do next and that's how we ended up on the road to iron sky i i think which got your attention to us is because we had talked about Leibach on our show yeah and, and we we had never <clears throat> we had never heard about Leibach uh before uh our co-host luke who's not here at the moment uh, which is a regular occurrence <laughs> he was uh he he had, he had just discovered Liebach, and we, we we really liked the video from the 80s i guess what was it life is life yeah. we just thought it was a <laughs> yeah. su- sufficiently kind of a cheesy video and uh it, it uh, uh is when you were go you said when you were going through kind of the, the brainstorming like we have to have Liebach do the score is Liebach huge in finland and the rest of europe is that it was that kind of the reason like the to get them no i mean it's our director has always been a huge fan of Liebach. gotcha and okay yeah he introduced uh it to us like when we were starting with the star Trek film and and made us listen to it and and <laughs> i actually quite like Leibach as ma- myself as well but he he has always been a huge fan and i see quite see how, why because it it has this certain strange uh, sense of humor yeah and, uh. yeah but Leibach has never been that huge i guess uh, but uh, then there's of course uh, Rammstein, which which was huge in Finland, and some people like to say that uh, Rammstein is Leibach for kids and Leibach is <laughs> Rammstein for adults. <laughs> yeah, R- Rammstein was huge here in the United States too. 
I mean, I think yeah. they, they, they kind of crossed over over here, but like we'd never heard of Leibach and Leibach, I think it's been around God, probably like at least over 30 years. So did you guys yeah. finally approach them to do the, to do the soundtrack? And, and I understand they're doing the soundtrack for the second one too. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Yes. Uh, Timo approached them and apparently it wasn't that difficult to convince them because, yeah. uh, they have, a lot of interesting projects. Uh, I think, well, I'm not, not the expert on all things Leibach, but I think they did a jazz record of, of uh, Richard Wagner's compositions. And uh, they've, I think they've uh, soundtracked some uh, plays and, and all kinds of interesting artistic projects. So, Let's talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about the, the plot of Iron Sky. So, basically... You have it without really giving anything away. Uh, it starts out with the uh, a moon mission, American moon mission sent by the president of the United States, which is based off of Sarah Palin. <laughs> yeah, and, and I love it that you say based on because yeah. people keep complaining to us that uh, why do our uh, why does our Sarah Palin have their wrong accent. <laughs> And, and, and because yeah, she's well, she sounds more like George. It's like George W. Bush and Sarah Palin. Yes, Sarah Palin from yeah. Texas. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's supposed <laughs> to be kind of like a composition of 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 the modern U.S. presidents, Sarah Palin, uh, Clinton. Um, <laughs> thank God Sarah Palin wasn't the modern U.S. president. But uh, <laughs> anyway, kind of like a composition of American politics politicians. But she ended up looking so much like Sarah Palin. Yeah, I can see yeah. why why it might be a bit confusing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, she gets elected in the 2016 election, and now here we are. Yeah. But we, you know, we got Trump coming, and so yeah. so they send this mission to the moon, and they discover there's Nazis on the moon, and you have this uh, this uh, African American astronaut that gets captured by the Nazis on the moon. And resent, and then eventually they find out that they that he knows the president. All right, something happens where I believe that to power this large craft called the Goddard Damerung, they figure out that that his his iPhone or whatever can uh, can power it. Yeah, it's, it's more powerful <laughs> than their computer that fills the room. Right, right, exactly. Their 1940s style computer. And this kind of one thing leads to another, and then there's the Nazi invasion of Earth from the moon. So you've got and you and you've got a lot of what I loved about it was there was a lot of movie homages in it. Um, you have a scene where one of the characters is in a wheelchair, and he's well, basically it's the astronaut that's been transformed. Essentially, we won't say how. But he's he's trying to do he's he's kind of trying to fight doing the Nazi salute. Great homage to Doctor Strange Love. Caught that right off. Uh, there was the uh, professor, the doctor in the film, who bore a real striking resemblance to the uh, mad scientist in Fritz Lang's Metropolis. That was that was excellent. A uh, little bit of. Uh, of an homage even to the movie Downfall, 
which had just come out, I believe, like 2005, and that's about Hitler's last days in the bunker. Yeah. Oh, was that the president taking out the glasses yeah. scene? Yeah, well, that was the her her like uh, campaign manager putting the glasses down and say, "Everyone who's not ahead of a department, please get out." And yeah. that's like the uh, there's a similar scene, and which has become very famous on YouTube because everybody puts the, the fake subtitles for what Hitler is saying there. So that was that was very interesting as well. Yeah, and, and I think. Timo, the director, took it <laughs> took it quite far because uh, we had um, we had uh, Götz Otto playing playing one of the bad guys in the film, uh, who was also in the downfall. So, oh, really? Of course, okay. Yeah, of course. In that film, uh, Timo gave him another role and uh, put him into that scene where he exactly mirrors everything he does in the same scene in Downfall. <laughs> Which scene was that? Uh, the same scene, uh, the Hitler rant scene. He's the very, very tall guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so you get those, all those little kind of subtle homages in there. And it, it was really, I, I, re- I really loved it. Just, and, and of course, Independence Day is even is subtly, there's even an homage to that as well in, in the film. Um, it's so. Here's a question that I, one of the questions I want to ask you, and you know, Iron Sky is a work of fiction. It's kind of supposed to be a kind of a silly, fun movie to watch, but there is a basis in some of this mythology, and I think you guys really capture this kind of conspiracy theory mythology. That's something that we've really explored on this show as well. And that is this idea of the breakaway civilization. You know, we just recently had the privilege to sit down with Richard Dolan, who's kind of a big, who's kind of coined this phrase. And you were talking about reading the book about the Nazis supposedly going uh, off world or supposedly using flying saucers. What are some of your studies in, in all that kind of thing? What, what do you think that there could have been a possibility that the Nazis did develop some kind of technology and that not necessarily be off on the moon or in the hollow earth or whatever, but there could have been something like that that could have survived? Yeah. Um, well, I read a lot of UFO books as a kid, of course, uh, because, well, it it was interesting and and of course the X Files came out and, and oh yeah everything. But uh, when we started working on this film, and I guess I have to admit we are we're kind of nerds, so we wanted to do our background uh, research as well as we could, and also get get ideas for the film. So we read a lot about uh, the conspiracies about Nazis the occult side, uh, the Nazi bell, um, lots of UFO books and, and everything like that. And, uh, of course, reading a lot of above top secret, which was a big thing back then we started working on the film, I think 2006. Um, so we spent a lot of time reading that stuff and, and researching it. And, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. And, and, and one thing is that there certainly was a big influence on on what 
what the Germans did during the war into the technology after the war. Um, both the space programs in the U.S. and in, in Soviet Russia, both, both were uh, very much uh, run by German scientists oh, after yeah. the war. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're not too far yeah. away, uh, about 100, I'd say about 120 miles away from Huntsville. Alabama, yeah. and that's where uh, Werner von Braun and a lot of the Nazi, well, the former Nazi scientists were based. They were based down in Huntsville, working for NASA. Yeah, one thing I I found kind of interesting is that um, hadn't seen it before, but the 1947 uh, Kenneth Arnold sighting that gave the world the term flying saucer. Uh, uh, I hadn't seen it, but he had made a sketch of, of the crafts that he had seen. And, of course, uh, probably listeners know that uh, he didn't say he saw saucers. He said that they were skipping like saucers on water or something like that. Uh, but the sketch, it was more of a boomerang-shaped. Yeah. Yeah. And it looked really familiar to me when I saw it and, and during the... Uh, background research phase so it's like okay what what does this remind me and then it came back to me on another book uh the german jet fighter or bomber i forgot which uh the horton ho 229 which which was a real plane uh, which was actually built and i think it actually flew as well and if you put that on top of the kenneth arnold sketch they match up perfectly. Of course, it's more alien looking, the sketch, but uh, there's the cockpit is in the same place. Uh, and it, hmm. the resemblance is really strange. And, and I have to wonder that did he see the US military testing uh, jets that they brought back from the Germany after the war? So maybe the whole flying saucer things really came from the nazis yeah there's there's some uh, there is some there is some proof there i believe that the nazis were working on these different kinds of craft well the and, u.s air force was as well yeah bizarre shapes and just trying anything to stay ahead at that time right they they were working i think though the u.s is working on some of that in the in the 50s i believe some of the weirder kind of like saucer shaped oh, okay. stuff and in, in, in the a lot of people forget though is that the Germans were way ahead of their time on many different things, many different aspects. Uh, how they actually managed to lose the war, well, I mean that's that's a whole other historical discussion. But it it, it really makes you think about like I mean like they were the first to split the atom uh, in uh, in the late thirties. Uh, so so they were there were so many ways that they were ahead of. Uh, ahead ahead of the rest of the world. I mean, the rockets, uh, like the V one and the V two. I mean, that was that was vastly ahead of any of, of anybody else. Where we had we had kind of concentrated on the Manhattan Project and on the atomic bomb and the the um, the the, the, not, the Nazis or the Germans. They had they had concentrated on on this rocketry. So I, I mean. It wouldn't surprise me that there would be some kind of uh, that there would that they would be working on some kind of craft like this. 
And, and of course, the question becomes: Why didn't they? Why didn't they win the war? You know. Well, I, yeah. That that to me says that they probably didn't have anything that much af- ahead of others. I mean, they certainly had jet planes, they had rockets, um, but I, the military aspect uh, aspects of them were they weren't finished quite yet. So I mean, the V one and V two rockets. Uh, you could shoot them uh, across a a vast distance and they were fast, but you had almost no control over where they would hit. So they were used mainly just as terror weapons because you could basically aim them at London and they would hit something, but you couldn't hit any military installations with them because you couldn't aim them enough. Yeah, I'm looking at the Horton the Horton Who two 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 nine on Wikipedia, and it, man, this thing really does look like a flying saucer. Yeah, I mean, if you saw this in 1947 and you didn't know what it was, you'd think it was something from outer space. Yeah, I think they had um, based uh, the airplane in the end of the first Captain America film on that plane. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about Roswell? Do you think that there could have been something that this could have been a similar kind of aircraft and that uh, the, the, these German scientists may have been involved uh, with this and it was, just, it was just covered up because they didn't want people to know what exactly we were doing? I don't know. There's so many interesting possibilities of, of what could have actually happened in, in Roswell. I mean, the, um, the one explanation in the Area 51 book uh, from, I forgot the name right now, but which came out a couple of years ago, uh, so-called real-world explanation of, of a Soviet plot uh, yeah. to send, I think, monkeys shaved and then dyed green and, and then send on a aeroplane to and crashing them in the U.S. just to basically to screw with the U.S. Uh, that was even weirder than yeah than, than yeah. the idea of, of spaceships. Yeah, that's one uh, of those so, skeptic explanations that's just even stranger than little green men or or just aliens from outer space. I mean, that's just yeah. that's kind of strange. Yeah. So there's so many possibilities which could have happened. I mean, I guess the most probable is is that some some classified technology crashed there but i don't know yeah there's so much about roswell to to me is it's it's iffy um such as the we've talked about this on an earlier show uh glenn dennis the undertaker that says that he was told by a nurse that he that she saw these bodies in the hospital and he would keep changing the he would keep changing his description of the story keep telling keep changing of who the nurse was um and then all of a sudden everybody else started remembering these bodies but a lot of these memories came back 40 years later so yeah, there's and- it's so iffy as to whether or not there were any bodies or not yeah and and that's the problem i mean it's become such a huge cultural thing that pretty much 
any new information that could come today. It would be quite suspect because everyone knows of the Roswell and, and it's kind of become this big celebration <laughs> even yeah. in, in some ways. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it could have been blown over a million times of to become more, more complex, more interesting than it actually was or not. It, it's so hard to say. And I do want to say too about what Rob was saying about the about the flying saucers that the that our government here was working on our military was that a lot of those couldn't really they say that they couldn't get off the ground very high, but like yeah, you know, it really makes you think that if they were test fly, they you know if they were test flying these things. Maybe it's still a top secret program. They don't want you to know about it. So they put out some silly stock footage of this thing kind of hovering just like a few feet off the ground. But yet there was another prototype that probably flew. And that could have been what people were actually seeing. Uh, yeah. That, that, that we were, that we were actually kind of using this technology. Yeah. And then there's, if you if you take some Monday technology from today, say I've been uh, flying quadcopters uh, for for a uh, for a few months now as a yeah. hobby, and and interesting those things. It 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 when I fly one, it it strikes me that oh my god, twenty years ago this would have seemed like alien technology because yeah. it it flies in a way that seems to defy all logic. So. Take that technology uh, 20, 30, 40 years back, 50 years back, if if they could have done it, it would have seemed very, very strange. And yet there is nothing that uh, strange about the technology itself. I mean, um, quadcopters are an old invention, but they just started to become viable for these small, small things when you had enough uh, processing power that you could uh, do the um, control system that uh, changes the speed of the propellers and, and which is how it uh, stays in control. If, if you don't have that control system, um, it really doesn't stay in the air long enough uh, to be of use. But right. how, how long has the military been able to do that? I mean, probably far longer than, than the uh, toy drone makers. Oh yeah, I mean, and they keep and actually, and they keep things secret. And I mean, if you saw in the and we know, I mean, I mean, the drone technology before they started using it in the early two thousands with uh, in Afghanistan and in Iraq. I mean, that's when you really started hearing about that uh, was around the time that those wars started. Before that, you didn't really hear about drones, but yeah. they were being developed in the nineteen eighties possibly even the late seventies and the military was testing them out, out in, out in the Western part of the United States. Well, I mean, if people saw those and the military is not saying what they were, I mean, yeah, it's a, by every definition, it's a UFO, right? Because you don't know what yeah. the hell it is. Yeah. And I think they had, um, what you could call drones, even, even back in, in the second world war. I mean, yeah, by well, some the V1 definition. was okay. kind of a drone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah it, yeah. yeah, it was. I mean, we think of a missile today, but basically it's a drone. It's a flying thing that flies itself. 
because the V1 looks more like a plane. I mean, the yeah. V2, you know, it's a kind of your classic rocket, you know, but the V, the V1 was much more of a, was much more of a, like a, of a, of a, look more like a little jet plane. So it was kind of yeah. like, it was kind of like a drone. The, yeah. This is a concept and we have a good friend of ours named Micah Hanks. I don't know if you ever heard a show where he's on, but uh, he wrote a book called the ghost rockets and yeah. there was a huge ghost rocket wave. Well, in your area of the world, back in like right after World War II, around like 45, 46, I think even into 47. This, you know, predates by a couple of years the Kenneth Arnold sighting and, and all that. And, you know, you, any insight into the ghost rocket era? Well, being over there in Finland? Yeah. Uh, it, it's not talked about that much anymore. Uh, it, it's referenced, but. Uh, my dad saw one. Uh, he was a kid back in the 40s. So he actually saw one. And, and um, I read some some analysis about the ghost rockets, uh, which would put their uh, trajectories uh, coming from the Peenemunde rocket base uh, in northern Germany mm-hmm. towards the Soviet Union uh, over uh, the Scandinavian countries. So... Yeah, that that kind of is a uh, interesting coincidence. Uh, I would, I wouldn't imagine that they had uh, at least some of the ghost rockets were were actually rocket tests. Do you because th- the I guess I think Panamunda would have been Eastern Germany and that would have been the Soviet zone yeah. of occupation. So do you think yeah. that they were possibly uh, the Soviets were probably shooting them towards back towards the Soviet Union just to see what they were doing? Or see yeah, what they could probably. Do. Yeah, yeah. And if you would shoot them, um, basically over to the um, Arctic Sea, uh, they would pretty much fly over over the Scandinavian countries and then then land into Soviet-controlled territories. Right. So they could pick them up, and they could just keep just keep it secret. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And there were some stories of, of ghost rockets crashing in, in, I think, in Sweden at least. But uh, they never, at least officially, they never found any. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that stuff is, is absolutely fascinating, and especially when you get into the Foo Fighters, the Foo Fighter yeah. era. Uh, you know, have you ever heard of um, – uh, we've had a guest on the show, Walter Bosley. Have you ever heard of any of his work? Uh, not quite certain if I have. Uh. Well, he talks about a group called NIMSA. Yeah. And is that familiar? That, that yeah, name? Uh, that, yeah this, that had something to do with the Sonora Aero Club as well. Yeah, yeah, Sonora Aero yeah. Club, yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he, I, I mean, this stuff is absolutely fascinating. I mean, you were talking about uh, the possibility that guys were working on airships in California in the 1850s. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that is true either, but I'll absolutely love the story. I mean, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. And the art in the books, it's... Oh, Del Shao? Yeah. It's great, yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've looked at some of that stuff, and it's like it, it, people, people just kind of... They kind of just slough it off as being... Uh, like the work of some eccentric artist, but a lot of other people have looked at it and said, "Hey, this stuff could probably work." Yeah, and and there's actually 
I don't think there's any reason that it couldn't be true because um, I grew up uh, in in the very rural parts of Finland, uh, basically in the middle of the forest, uh, in in a small village, and um, ten miles from where I lived, uh, there were uh, these uh, had lived. Uh, they were a couple of few decades before my time, but there had been these uh, Karhula brothers who would become the uh, aviation pioneers of Finland. And they and many other people in Finland, they actually just started building their own planes. They had no training. They weren't scientists. They were mostly farmers. And they would see airplanes uh, in in magazines and, and maybe in real life. And they would just build one themselves. And they actually flew. Wow. So <laughs> why, why couldn't you have had people building airships in the 1900s? Uh, I mean, yeah. people are quite resourceful. And yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to get your idea, Jarmo, about basically uh, what you think about the possibility of Hitler surviving in South America. We had uh, Gerard Williams on. God, this is, God, this is about two years ago now, man. And uh, he talked, he's on the show, uh, Hunting Hitler. And we talked, he he has a uh, book called Grey Wolf, and he talks about the possibility of Hitler surviving in South America. And this is something that's utterly fascinating to me. I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. Well, I I have to say, I I don't have that many thoughts about it, because uh, that's that's something that uh, we never, never went to that direction. Yeah. Well, in the first film, in the second film, uh, well, Hitler is back and and he's <laughs> he's hiding in the center of the earth. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, it, it certainly could be possible. I mean, it, it it wouldn't have been that that difficult to escape Germany in in the last days. I mean, probably not easy, but it, it that certainly could have happened. Uh, but what I would think is that um, if if Hitler had escaped, uh, wouldn't we have heard something of 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 him after after the war? I mean, he certainly didn't seem much like the type of guy who would just lay low and and uh, and uh, pretend to be an elderly Jewish woman like in <laughs> one of. Like in one of Judo Kier's uh, films, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where, where he actually played Hitler pretending to be an elderly uh, Jewish woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sounds interesting. I, that might be a movie I'd like to see. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I haven't seen the film, but it, hearing uh, Udo explain the plot of the film while dressed in uh, SS uniforms and in two languages, in English and German, because we had... Uh, Germans and and Finns in the audience. That that was quite quite an interesting experience in <laughs> itself. <laughs> I think that it's more than likely the possibility that someone, some of the Nazi apparatus, and like in the beginning, in the middle of the war, that they began to move their assets out of Germany. I mean, like I think some of them could see the writing on the wall. Even that early, yeah. 
And they said, yeah, we're probably going to lose this thing. So they began to move assets out into South America. That may have even been going on even before uh, World War II started, but it probably picked up steam. And, you know, whether it was Martin Borman or whether it was Otto Scorzini, uh, as as Jim Mars says in his book, uh, The Fourth Reich, that the possibility that somebody managed to set up some kind of apparatus and over time, it just kind of morphed into just another business concern in many ways. But yeah. they could have also taken some of this technology with them as well. And yeah. in Iron Sky 2, since you since you mentioned the, the next film, this is an inter, another interesting conspiracy theory, too, that, you know, you go to Antarctica, to the center of the Earth, and... The Nazis are, first of all, the Nazis could live in Antarctica in this hole in the bottom of the earth. And you guys are kind of playing with this whole idea. What, what kind of ideas yeah. are you guys playing with in Iron Sky 2? Well, we're going with reptilians in, in Iron Sky 2. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, in the first film, it, it was always, um, it was always that it, it was so much, uh, it was all humans. But in the next one, we realized that, okay, it wasn't all, all of our own doing, but uh, the uh, reptilians have been hanging around in the center of the earth for a long, for a long time. And, and yeah. they've been uh, infiltrating earth politics. And, and it's, and it's uh, revealed yeah. in the, it's revealed in the, in the trailer that uh, the Sarah Palin like character is actually a reptilian. Yep, and she's the one who managed to get rid of of all those pesky humans inhabiting the earth. <laughs> and and, uh, and Adolf is Adolf Hitler is riding a is riding a Tyrannosaurus Rex named Blondie. Yeah, yep. <laughs> because of course. Well, uh, you talk about uh, the, the the title of the um, Iron Sky Two. The subtitle is the Coming Race. Yes. And this is a concept about, are you guys kind of playing on the concept of the Vril? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Can you explain a little bit of that concept? Well, well, the real Vril or the film Vril, maybe I explained film Vril in, in, in Sky, the coming yeah. race. Uh, the Vril arrived on earth, um, millions of years ago. And, but then, then the, a catastrophe destroyed much of, of the surface of the Earth, so they had to go into hiding into the center of the Earth. And, uh, well, I can't say all the plot points from the film, but basically while, while they were hiding inside of Earth, uh, humans took over the planet. And and uh, turns out um, our are reptilian real they are are they have spaceships and and advanced technology in in many ways and they're quite scary but they're not as scary as humans and okay. so basically uh we have the there weren't that many of the real uh in in the center of the earth so when they decide that okay we could go back to the surface uh, the surface was actually crawling with humans who didn't take kindly into these uh, lizard people. So basically, <laughs> they're kind of stuck there because if they stick their neck out, uh, 
they get faithful of humans. Yeah. So, so they've been uh, so they decided in during the course of human history that okay, let's let's try to get rid of these uh, pests by uh, infiltrating their politics and just trying to get them to destroy themselves because they are so nasty that it should be easy. And then, then it turns out they've been trying to do that for thousands of years, and and it takes until until the Sarah Palin SQ president to actually make it happen. <laughs> Is that really what's going on with Trump and Hillary right now over here in the United States? That would actually make a lot of sense. <laughs> it would make a lot more sense than than actually having real election with Trump and Hillary as the choices. <laughs> now, I mean, the the real thing really caught my attention are the coming race because that's actually, um, as I understand it, there was a book. I, I'm thinking the early, like maybe the late 19th century or the early 20th century, that yep. was. Uh, a fiction book called the real, the coming race. And yes. this became kind of, um, it almost became like a Bible in some ways for kind of like the, like the proto Nazi parties, like the Tula society, these secret societies yeah. that they really took this idea of the real and said that this was a real thing, even though, you know, the book was a work of fiction and, yeah. and they, it, it, so it, it almost became, an idea that the that the Nazis carried on as well, and also a lot of people don't know this, but the the Nazis. I mean, for all the strange ideas that they had, one of them was that there was a hollow Earth. Yeah, it. it they were so all over the place with with the ideas. It that that seems that seems um crazy from this this point of view i mean it, it seemed that uh during the war uh you could get funding for almost any research if it had the promise that it it could change the world if it could help to win the war they would try anything yeah and that, so i think that's part of the fascination with with uh Nazi conspiracies and and secret technology, because they actually tried so many things. And I don't know if if we've really had had that kind of a situation afterwards. I mean, usually usually ha your ideas have to make some kind of financial sense these days. <laughs> you you just can't, you just can't can't go go to President Trump and and go like. <laughs> I, I believe there are lizards living inside the Earth. Will you fund my expedition to the Antarctica? It just doesn't work quite like that anymore. And he'd say, we love lizards. Lizards are great. They're the best thing ever. You're going to get so tired of lizard people. They're, they're the best. Yeah. <laughs> they make the best tacos in Trump Tower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, the Ananarba, the, um, and I'm probably mangling that word. Uh, they, the, this was an arm of the SS that they had, they sent people out to find the Holy Grail. They yeah. sent these expeditions to Tibet. They had all these just strange, strange ideas. Uh, 
and, and and you know Himmler, you know himself was a huge occultist, and and yeah. and and the the Nazis had this whole basis in the occult. That's what a lot of people don't realize about them is that they were really, in many ways, uh, a replacement religion. I mean, yeah, sure, yeah. you had Italian fascism, you had what was going on in Spain. I mean, you had these authoritarian governments, but Nazism was that. But it, at the same time, it wanted to replace what you know Judeo Christianity. Yeah, and. I wanted to talk a little bit too about like some of these promos that you guys have put out for the um, f- for Iron Sky Two, and we, I think we've watched them. The first, the yeah. well, there was one that you thought was you was going to be really offensive, and that was that was the Jesus one, which is absolutely hilarious. If anyone, <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has yeah. not watched this, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's Jesus. Basically pulling himself off the cross and then just shooting with like AK, shooting AKs and screaming like what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I yep. think that that's going to take, I think that Jesus is going to be like on the good guy side here in the movie, kicking well, ass. <laughs> well, actually, I have to admit, we, we, we changed the plot. Um, Jesus became a uh, pope. Because it, it seemed that uh, the Pope would fit better with the other other uh, great villains of history. Because okay, the reptilians, yeah. the Pope's a reptilian. Okay, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's quite easy to believe usually. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, we re- we really thought that that Jesus one would would get people kind of oh, kind of yeah. angry and yeah, and it didn't. <laughs> uh, there seems to be quite a difference between Europe and the U.S. with them, with this. I mean, uh, in the U.S., you can get people angry with that and or, or really amused. But in Europe, it was that people were either amused or they just went like, mm, well, that is a bit immature. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> I, I thought <laughs> it was, was hilarious. <laughs> that, that was such a disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, but yeah, we, we got, uh, <laughs> that, that, that kind of like, um, we got off easy on that one, but then again, the other one, uh, that, that, yeah. <laughs> that was, that was quite more, uh, interesting. Well, the other one was, what was the other one? Uh, Vladimir Putin, uh-huh. uh, dancing and, and rearranging the map of Europe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and. You know the thing is that uh, the actor who plays uh, Vladimir Putin in 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 the coming race, uh, he's a uh, Finnish comedian, and uh, he has this strange. Um, I mean, he looks like a lot like Vladimir Putin. So, <laughs> so we always wanted to cast him in in that role. <laughs> so. So we finally got a reason to do that, and we did that uh, small promo clip uh, where where he he dances um, without a shirt, of course, and and with um, camouflage pants. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, yeah, and, and yeah. You, did, you so, didn't have him wrestle a bear or riding a horse or anything, though. No, no. We <laughs> these were just like small promo clips, so we had one day to shoot them. So couldn't arrange a bear a bear to uh, fight. So, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So anyway, we, we did that and, and then we released it and we thought that, okay, we're going to, people are going to be a bit amused by it. Uh, and, and yeah, it, it started to spread and all that. I, I go to bed and wake up the next morning and, and just start doing my daily job. And well, we have, we had two dogs in the house back then and they were, uh, dogs, they were rescued from Russia, uh, from St. Petersburg. They were old street dogs and, and they were here to spend their old days in, in peace. So we had those, those in the house and, and sometimes they would get restless. And for some reason, uh, well, I guess it's not that weird, but they would, uh, they would, uh, calm down when they heard Russian, uh, being talked. Hmm. And so there's this, uh, Russian, uh, the Russian government's propaganda channel, uh, called RT, which is yeah. a 24 hour news channel. Yeah. We so, have it over here too. The English version. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we, yeah, we have that here and as well. So I put RT on and the dogs go quiet and I just, I'm just working and, and the TV is on, on the background. Then I look at the TV and go, it's like, wait a minute, this looks familiar. And they're showing our, our promo clip of, oh, no. clip of President <laughs> Putin. And it's like, okay, this is a very ne- a long news story. And, and okay, what they are saying. And it was so strange. The first, in the morning, the story was that... Uh, Vladimir Putin is becoming a cult figure in the West and he is used in pop culture, like in this trailer for a new film. And they show uh, parts of the parts of the clip and, and kind of like leave out the most offensive ones. And it's kind of positive. Okay, kind of amused that our president is so loved in the West that he's, he's being used as a character. And... Uh, it was one of the main news topics for that day. So it was basically like two times an hour that this clip would run. And then at some point during the day, they just subtly changed uh, the narration. And now in the evening, the story was that uh, President Putin does not appreciate uh, being used as a pop culture figure in the West. And suddenly it was a negative story. And that was really interesting, seeing the story morph like that. And I guess someone uh, commented them uh, to them from Kreml, because the next day, uh, one of, of President Putin's senior aides uh, gave an interview. He didn't name us or the film, but he said that, yes, they are not amused at all by by how Westerners use President Putin as as a character, and and that is completely unnecessary. You know? <laughs> so yeah, kind of like his so propaganda I, I, and ministry. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. So that was quite interesting. Well, this leads. Did uh, we, oh, go ahead. Yeah, we we really didn't expect expect anything like that. We just, oh yeah. Thought that we'll do a funny thing, and then then it kind of became a bit bit of a news item. 
Yeah, you thought the Christians were going to burn you guys at the stake, and then uh, then it was then it was Putin that was that was upset over his yeah. portrayal. Th- th- this yeah. brings, I think, to a wider uh, discussion, and uh, you know, I, I really one thing I really enjoy, and this um, this podcast has allowed me to do this is whenever I meet anyone from another country, um, I like to engage them on what's going on. And yeah. being that you guys are so close, I mean, you're, you're literally right next door to Russia, yeah. uh, and and what's going on there. And and, and I love in the uh, in the promo, you see Putin has the map of Russia, and he's taping the Ukraine to it, and you see you see Finland being taped to it, you know. Yeah. And I know that Sweden has had some um, problems where the the Russians have been flying over their airspace. Yeah. yeah. As far as Finland goes, what's been kind of the, are there, are there any concerns about Russia there at the moment? Certainly. I mean, there's, we have a long history together with, with yes. Russia. I mean, the, win- um, the winter war comes to mind. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and we've never forgot that one. <laughs> yeah. So, but, well, you guys kicked the Russians' ass on that one. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. In, in many ways, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, theoretically, they won, but I would consider that Finland won quite nicely as well as we yep. stayed independent. And yep. it didn't go as, as it did with the Baltic states. Uh, but anyway, so there's been this uh, suspicion of, of Russia and the Soviet Union in, in Finland because it's always been seen as pretty much the only country that would ever ever try to invade or or do anything like that so yes uh, people are quite concerned and now there's been a lot of talk talk again uh, if if Finland should uh, join NATO or or mm-hmm. not and and of course after Ukraine people been people have actually been quite afraid at times uh, worrying that maybe maybe war isn't isn't a thing of the past. Maybe it, it could happen again. And, and I mean, it, it to me, I think it's uh, the concerts have been a bit overblown, but yeah. certainly there is is very much reason for concern because of of the whole situation that Russia is in right now, which which is quite a long story yeah you're talking about the uh the uh, the sanctions the economic sanctions against against russia because of ukraine yeah and and even before that because uh the price of oil has gone down so the earnings of the russian state have gone down and uh the economy hasn't been doing very well then then the sanctions came and then it did even worse so Russia is kind of it's it's in a more volatile state that is it has been in a long time because for a long time it it was that the commerce with the West was doing good and 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 uh, there wasn't much reason for anyone to shake the boat but right now it's the economy isn't doing well and of course, translates to troubles at home, which yeah. usually lead to countries doing things uh, 
in their foreign policy. Uh, and right now, Russia is um, trying to act very tough uh, and trying to uh, uh, assure everyone that they are a world power, they are a superpower. And that, that to me, is, is probably the reason that they are, are, are doing their aggressions. And, of course, uh, the whole Ukraine thing, it was uh, uh, it was said considered to be crazy in the West, but if you think about it for a longer time, it it starts to make some sense. I mean, you have to separate making sense and agreeing with it. I'm certainly not agreeing with it, but I can see why why they would uh, risk international conflict by attacking a neighboring country. Because, yeah. um, because uh, NATO is is growing, lo- coming closer to their borders, and and yeah. it is uh, Finland and Sweden are the only countries, pretty much not in NATO, uh, in in the western side of of the border, and also Ukraine isn't a part of NATO, but they were getting closer to the EU and and to NATO as well. From that, and right. uh, uh, Russians uh, have a uh, big navy base in in the how do you how do you crane, the pronounce Crimea. it in English? Crimea. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Crimea. Yeah, they have a big base in Crimea. So, in from military perspective, it does make sense that they would uh, annex the Crimea Crimea uh, Peninsula. Yeah. And, uh, but of course, that's not a very nice thing to do. But from a military perspective, it does make sense. Well, and, the the Crimeans were not very upset about it. I mean, they they embraced yeah. it essentially. Uh, I mean, uh, they're because they're mostly Russian. I mean, Crimea was a was a part of Russia until they gave it to the Ukraine in the fifties. But of course, at that time, it was all the Soviet Union, so it really didn't matter. And yeah. the, yeah, I mean, it's a complicated situation. I mean, certainly Putin is not, I mean, he's not a an angel in any way. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, you look at, uh, you look at what just came out where they essentially proved that he poisoned that, that guy in, in London. Uh, yeah. Forget the guy's name. And, you know, they poisoned him with polonium, some radioactive element. And, but, I mean, you can see, you know, like in the, in, you know, 25 years ago when the Berlin Wall fell and the communism came to- toppling down in Eastern Europe, you know, Gorbachev was essentially told, you know, that was the time at that time, he, he said that, you know, NATO is not going to go any, any further. It's not going to go any further east. And now yeah. you have the Baltic states, which are which were once a part of the Soviet Union. They're members of NATO, and they're literally on Russia's doorstep. I, I don't yeah. think, I, and at the same time, I don't think Putin is insane. I don't think he's a Hitler. You know, like he's been yeah. kind of he's been kind of castigated over here as being a uh, being a Hitler like character. And I think a lot of that's just propaganda because yeah. over here in the United States, we always have to have a new Hitler so we can go. You know spend money on useless wars to fight and yeah. the 
But, you know, he's not – basically, I think with the Ukraine, I think what he said, and I think is basically what you just said, is he kind of put a line in the sand and said, okay, you're not going to cross here. You know, yeah. the, to allow Ukraine to become a member of NATO is just like a, you know, a bullet right into the heart of Russia, essentially. And it's like, yeah. you know, they want their sphere of influence. But at the same time, I definitely see what you're saying. I mean, you guys are right next door. You have a history with Russia. They've been, they've, I mean, Finland used to be a part of Russia. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of people don't realize well, Finland well, hasn't well, even been, a, it hasn't even been, you guys haven't even been independent in, for a hundred years yet. Yeah. We, yep. 99 years this year. Next right. year is, is our, our 100th uh, yep. independence. And yes, uh, and and I think the Russian situation kind of. I'm I'm actually surprised how how much it shocked the Western world and and Europe in particular. Yeah. Because it, I think people here and and especially even the politicians and I would say especially the politicians, uh, they are so focused on economic policy that. They see all policy as economy policy. Uh, everything is about the markets and, and trade. There's no place for old-fashioned power plays. Basically, what what Putin is doing now is 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 would have been normal uh, just a few decades ago. Just flexing your military power yeah. to uh, radiate your power outwards. But we have been so obsessed about economics for the last couple of decades. And war war and military things have been kind of in the background. So it was so unexpected that someone would actually use military power to further their own goals in, instead of economic power. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, especially in Europe. It's like, you know, yeah. uh, that's interesting that you guys are that Finland is thinking about becoming part of NATO because I, I was trying to figure out whether Finland actually was a part of NATO. I had to look that up yesterday, and like you oh, guys, are, you guys are in the European Union, but not a part of NATO. Yeah, because uh, the Finnish policy uh, from the Second World War uh, onwards has always been of of neutrality. Yeah. Uh, Kind of like Switzerland, uh, except that we've been right next to the Soviet Union, so <laughs> it's been even a more delicate balancing act. But but Finland has always declared to be independent, uh, and uh, and getting closer to NATO and and even joining NATO is a huge change in that policy. Yeah, it would be a huge change. Because yeah. you guys, the, the, that neutrality course, kind of like what, kind of like what Austria decided to do, just to, to be, just to be neutral, not to, to have any during the Cold War, not to have any uh, ties with the, not to, to to kind of walk a middle path, and so to speak, work with everybody, but yeah. not have any ties with everybody. I did like the scene in the film. I like the scene in the film where uh, there's a disagreement in this little United Nations area. Okay. And like, uh, you know, not to give anything away, but, uh, but uh, there's an agreement that has apparently been breached. And uh, Sarah Palin esque president says, Did anybody keep to their agreement? And Finland raises their hand. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. Uh, let's talk about yeah. the time we have remaining. Um, you guys have been accused in making this film of being like disinfo agents yourselves. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I love it. <laughs> that sounds weird. So <laughs> let bet, me explain. Yeah. Uh, it, it started uh, long before the film was, was uh, finished uh, because uh, the production time was a long, a lot longer than for you, uh, most films because we spent uh, six years in, in production with this film. Uh, a lot of that was, was of, of course, uh, getting the funding and, and all the pre-production things and stuff like that. So our first, uh, first teaser trailers came out in 2008, I think. So there was quite a long time between, between those and the release of the film. Oh, and, wow. That's a four years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and those teasers they uh, also spread quite nicely on the internet. So we had quite a nice hype going on for the film uh, before it released, and uh, that of course drew comments. And and one of my favorites was that we are uh, typical Hollywood disinformation uh, agents paid by the CIA. And <laughs> first of all, uh, because. These people always called us Hollywood, and we are <laughs> literally on the other side of the world from Hollywood. Uh, Finnish film industry is, is quite small. Uh, uh, Iron Sky was the most expensive Finnish film ever made when it was released, and it wasn't a very expensive film. So basically, it was incredibly flattering that people thought that Iron Sky would be a Hollywood film because it, it gained <laughs> kind of said that we had been doing something right with our, our teasers and, and marketing. Yeah. And uh, then, of course, I got a huge laugh about being paid off by the CIA as, as we were running on, on <laughs> pretty much zero budget. We had like broken shoes because we couldn't afford to buy new ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the pre-production the long pre-production, it, it was quite tight. So so <laughs> it always brightened my day to read those comments. Yeah, it, 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 as you described it uh, in the email that you sent to me, you described it as like a, a feedback loop. That you know, yeah. people, people think that you're working for the CIA and that just kind of like – that 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 almost in and of itself is like free advertisement for the film, right? That gets people more yeah. and more interested in in what you guys are doing, and, and yeah. makes people think about it. Uh, yeah, you sent me something that I in this email that I never had heard of, and uh, this is something I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit briefly. And I'm gonna I'm gonna mangle this, okay? Because I as I I don't speak Finnish, and as I understand, it's one of the most complicated languages in the world. Uh, uh, Pekka Satoin, is that how you would pronounce it? <laughs> yes. This is a Finnish devil worshiper, UFO writer, occultist, and neo-Nazi. <laughs> yes. Uh, so who was this guy? This sounds pretty interesting. Right up our alley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was uh, the leader of the Finnish Nazis uh, up until the... Um, 
up until the turn of the millennium. Uh, and he's, he's now deceased uh, for many years now. But <laughs> he, was, he was the leader of the Finnish Nazis and the leading occultist in Finland. And that's not saying much. Yeah. But uh, huh. he was quite an interesting character. And what's interesting is that uh, now after, after his demise, he's become quite a cult, uh, cult figure. And, and uh, he has, uh, well, following sounds wrong because it, it would imply that people are fro- following in his foot, footsteps. But people are quite fascinated by, by, the, by the guy because he was a very colorful, colorful and uh, very public person. And, and he was, I think, most of all, he was a showman. He, he liked to show off and, and liked publicity and, and was pretty good at it. I mean, he was, uh, for decades, he was um, in, in Finnish uh, tabloid papers and, and invited to occasionally to talk shows and, and things like that. So, but yeah, <laughs> he, he was quite an interesting character and, and, Indeed, he he liked to say that he was a uh, a, face, a fascist, a racist, and a sadist, hmm. and he was proud of it. That's pleasant. And he would go, yeah, and he would go to uh, national television uh, wearing a Nazi uniform and say that out loud. So that's not yeah. provocative at all in any way, right? Yeah, no, no. Uh, and uh, but before he he started to drift mostly into the Nazi, Nazism direction in, in the, I think, 60s and 70s. He wrote many books about occultism and, and UFOs and, 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 it, and, and there's this kind of like enigma of the guy because you can't be quite certain that if he really believed in all the things he's saying or if he was doing it as some kind of a... Uh. Publicity crap or performance, because, for example, um, I think we feel the same wrote, way about Trump. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and like for example, he wrote books about UFOs, and and he was complete. They seemed that he was completely serious, and and he he attempted to attempted to be a, uh, a UFO researcher and and like a figure in in that field, but. Then, then he, for example, uh, um, had a uh, UFO photo that he had taken in one of those books, and, and okay, and got this into newspapers in Finland as well. And the sensational UFO picture from from Pekka Sitoin. And decades later, uh, we realized that it's actually a picture of his bare buttocks. <laughs> So this this guy had like a performance art kind of thing going on here. You know, this is like the yeah. kind of like the Discordian Society in the United States. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And a friend of mine has uh, written a book, among other people, of of this guy, and and uh, it's quite interesting because he's he's from the complete other side of this political spectrum, but yeah. he still he still finds this guy fascinating. 
So. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, so many characters, strange characters like that. They are, they are so, so fascinating and then they can be completely objectionable. Uh, yeah. I wanted to ask and you. Though, it, to, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say that in, in some ways he, he probably was the worst thing that could have happened to Finnish neo-Nazis <laughs> for, for decades <laughs> because, because he was never, that scary of a figure. I mean, he did uh. go to jail for for uh, for arranging the arson of of a, uh, a book press and and stuff like that. But he was mostly considered a clown. Yeah, so, maybe that was the point. <laughs> yeah. So so now we have actually more serious Nazis coming out, and and people are yeah. kind of going like, okay, the all saying that the best Nazi is a dead Nazi really was true because <laughs> these new ones are so much worse than, than old Pekka ever was. Yeah. You've got a real right wing yeah. upsurge, upsurge in, in Europe right now with the, uh, yeah. the whole uh, immigration issue and, and, and what's going on there. I, I wanted to ask you, because this, uh, just as you were talking, I was thinking about this, you know, we, we mentioned the the winter war, and yeah. once uh, Germany invaded the Soviet Union, you know the Finns uh, got involved as well, and they called that the Continuation War. Yeah, you know, how do yeah. how do you uh, guys over there? I know it's probably a generational thing too, since so much time has passed. But how do you guys view that time period in your history? The Continuation War. Well, the the Winter War is is like the heroic per- period right. where. Where a small country uh, held its independence against a huge foe, and and continuation war uh, during the time of the Soviet Union, um, there was of course the Soviet Union tried to put blame on the whole whole wars on Finland, uh, even the Winter War, which wasn't true, uh, but. For continuation war, I mean, it, it was was aggression from Finland's part. But in many ways, I think people have been thinking and still think about it in a way that that it was something that had to be done. That and and because Finland was uh, allied with the so uh, allied with the Nazi Germany, but it wasn't. Because we would have wanted to be, yeah. but but uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of yeah, attitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Soviet Union, it was in the Axis, so the Axis countries were well. It, it was a weird situation. For example, um, uh, from uh, the UK, uh, they did send volunteers to fight for Finland. But at the same time, uh, they sold chemical weapons to the Soviets to be used against Finland. Hmm. So it was a kind of a difficult situation. Uh, so the, um, not Germany was pretty much the only allies that we could get. So, so that's, that's why Finland ended up on that side and, and when they were attacking the Soviet Union, of course, then there was a huge pressure for Finland to join the attack. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's not 
the continuation war, it's not as much talked about as the Winter War. Right. Yeah, I, I was interested in that. How you guys, how you guys viewed viewed that part of the history. Uh, you, it, Rob, was there anything that you wanted to ask? Um, <clears throat> sorry, I, I get lost in the the politics. My brain started like trying to think. <laughs> I'm just trying to even regionally place all these different countries. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I did it earlier when you were talking about the um, the budget for the movie, um, as far as you know. Uh, calling it a small budget movie compared to something Hollywood. Uh, I wanted to commend you guys on the production. I thought it was oh, amazing. Yeah. Especially considering that you didn't have, you know, a, a full Hollywood style style budget. Yeah. Yeah. I think the budget was, uh, about $9 million for the first film. Yeah. That's, that's low. Considering it's just yeah. like you have all these mega budget, you know, probably like Captain the latest Captain America was probably like twenty times more than that, right. you know. And it was a pretty heavy, um, um, heavy on special effects too. The movie, yeah, yeah. Our our special effects guys did an insane so insane job, and absolutely. And I, yeah, actually, uh, I actually, um, we had um. Uh, People working on the film in, in many countries and many cities, and, and the special effects were done here in Tampere, where I live. So that was also my office. So I yeah. spent my my time in the post production with them, and 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 it was the days were long, and and they had to do so much with so little time and and so few people. It was amazing what they did. What, so what's uh Jarmo, what's next for you guys um you know when does the movie when will it come out here in the US and um also you know where can people you know find out information about the film or you know if they want to contact you well you can always find more about our film on our website ironsky.net and we are on Facebook and pretty much every every um Social media, just search for Iron Sky and we're there. We're constantly updating new info. Uh, but yeah, right now we're in post-production for Iron Sky The Coming Race, uh, which is coming out uh, in late 2017 because we still have a lot of dinosaurs to do. And hopefully, <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's, it's coming out uh, around the same time in all over the world. And we're currently still in talks about that. Uh, try to arrange it uh, the best way we can. So, 2017. It's already and also, been it's already been shown at con though. Uh, yeah, we've okay. actually shown it to some of our crowdfunding uh, contributors uh, and fans because uh, when you are making a film, you of course do uh, test screenings. So. Uh, we offered uh, it as a perk on our crowdfunding campaign uh, and uh, got uh, got quite a few of our fans to see the film and got some really great feedback from them uh, and, and that we can use to make the film better. Well, excellent. Excellent. And, yeah, and also, to... okay. Yeah. Also, one, one more thing is that we were in uh, at the Cannes Film Festival and we launched, launched this uh, new initiative called Iron Sky Franchise, 
which is basically an open call for pitches about stories or or other content that could be happening in the Iron Sky universe. So thinking uh, in the lines of, of short films or internet videos or even games or, or virtual reality stuff. Basically, we, we would like to hear people's ideas and the best ideas we will start to work on and make them official Iron Sky releases. So that's also on our website at ironsky.net. So if you have a great idea of, of a story that could happen in a universe like Iron Sky, then send it to us and maybe we can make it together. Excellent. I'd just like to know how Jesus gets his AKs. Yeah, that's, I'd like to know that as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jarmo, thank you so much. Uh, It's been excellent to have you on. Um, And we didn't even get to your talk about your great uncle as a witch. uh, So so we didn't didn't actually get to that, but uh, maybe we can, you know, when the, when the movie is, uh, the next movie is closer to coming out uh, or after it comes out, we can sit down and we can talk some more about that stuff. We'd love that. Sure. Absolutely. Sure, it's been great talking to you. Thank you, you as well. And uh, stay on the line for us. Uh, we're just going to close out this section. And uh, guys, we will be back on Conspiracy Normal. All right, guys, we're back on Conspiracy Normal. Uh, fascinating interview with uh, Dharma Pascala from the. Uh, writer of one of the writers of the film iron sky and iron sky Two: the coming race uh really cool to talk to him uh we got some pretty interesting insights on the film uh insights on his life over there in finland uh insights on what's going on with being so close to russia what would you think about that rob yeah of all, of all the people that have ever reached out to us he's definitely one of my favorites that was great um well, i mean i love talking about the movie because i i just finished it last night yeah and it, it really was it, it was even better than I expected it to be. All the um, all the satire and the production value of it was great. Obviously, the Leibach soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> go on. Yeah, but as far as the rest of it, I, I had no idea we were going to delve into so many other topics. That was awesome, and he was very knowledgeable about all of it. Yeah, yeah, extremely so. I mean, he sounds like he's done his homework. I, I think when you make a movie like that, you know, when I watched it, I think it was pretty obvious to me. Just like, okay, these guys. They wrote this. They know some of the conspiracy theory lore, a lot of the stuff, the same stuff that we talk about. Right. You, know? you can tell where it was inspired from. That They obviously were into it enough to to throw in all those uh, subtler elements. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's an interesting concept to play with, um, for sure. And, and I really think that, you know, people out there that are researching the UFO field, I think it's something that, you know, we got so many camps now. We got so many people divided amongst so many different camps. But I think it's I think it is uh, well worthwhile to kind of consider this kind of uh, the possibility of a breakaway civilization as being behind some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think it's important to consider any side of it, especially something like this where we um, where we have so little tangible evidence. Yeah. You know, all we have is whole slew of you know sightings and sort of like um you know it's it's enough not to call it evidence but it's enough uh 
there's enough uh, stories out there to to lead me to believe that there's definitely something to it. And I, I want to hear every side of it. I want to hear every kind of angle to it. I want to hear everyone's thoughts on it because I think that's the only way we could ever get to the truth to begin with. Right, right. Uh, you know, we were talking about. I want to. We're going to talk about paradigm here in a bit. Paradigm symposium. But uh, we we'll, we sat down with uh, Micah and Micah Hanks uh, to for dinner that night, the last night of the symposium. And we we were talking about Travis Walton about his case, and you know Travis Walton has a very explicit case about you know tell us talk about what happened to him and 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 who it was in in this whole course of seeing humans in the ship. Um, you know, he does say that he sees, I think he saw two or three, what we would kind of like, I guess, consider grays. But that was as, like as that. he was just coming to and still heavily sedated. Yeah, exactly. And then he see, then he comes out and he sees people and that's all he sees the rest of the experience until yeah. he blacks out. And the next thing he knows he's on the road. And our hope is to get Travis on the show. Uh, well, really, again, because we we interviewed him at some at the paradigm, but I want to talk more, you know, go into more detail with him about it. Yeah, dig into it. But it, it it's it that is a fascinating aspect of this to me. So, if this was just yeah. someone else's technology, and these aren't Nordic aliens from the Pleiades, but the possibility that they are from some organization are from some breakaway civilization. And what happened to Travis happened. They took him on the ship. Uh, he experiences what he experiences. They sedate him again, and then they drop him back off. Uh, then anything that Travis says, is it, it's true from what he experienced. But it's like everybody just jumps to the conclusion that it's aliens from Zeta Reticuli or from somewhere else, when it could be Something that's from here, from this world. Yeah, either a breakaway civilization or some governmental thing. Yep. Though I think if it was the government, they wouldn't have re-released him. That's just my opinion. Well, I mean, it, one of the things we talked about this documentary, which I, which we watched. I watched uh, the Travis documentary that we talked about when we had the interview with him and uh, Jennifer Stein, who made it. Uh, you know, they talked about how this guy uh, Philip glass how he had uh really tried to debunk the travis walton case and richard dolan points out that the guy in the documentary he points out that the guy this guy had so many uh ties to the cia to the nsa to all these different government agencies and of course you know kind of the 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 context is okay well, you know, the government doesn't want us to know that there's aliens from another planet and that they're here. You know, the, the same thing that we've heard in this in the UFO circles for years. Well, what if the government doesn't want us to know that there's a breakaway civilization, or that the Nazis are still around, or that there are organizations that might be more powerful than us are it's something that we're actually messing with in a secret space program somehow wouldn't that just be just as equally be uh you would want to equally debunk because of that as well i'd say for sure yeah yeah so these were the things that 
that were kind of going through my head um, as I was watching that watching that documentary. Yeah, I'm glad you brought Travis up too because he, um, yeah, you know, t- sitting down and talking to somebody like that and, and you know looking him in the eye while you're having this conversation is totally different than than hearing a story. Yes, to begin with. Um, and after talking to him, I have no doubt that he genuinely experienced what he mm-hmm. he claims to have experienced, and he genuinely, um, you know, believes that it wasn't any kind of hallucination or anything like that you know it was it was very real to him and um i like the fact that his he's sort of come to terms with it over the years right and he doesn't think now that there was any malicious intent at the time he was terrified and it's like you know yeah. obviously you're going to jump to the conclusion but can't blame him but now now after thinking about it, he thinks he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time got himself injured and they you know basically saved his life and yeah whoever they are and just returned him to where sort of near where they found him yeah i mean if you look the guy in the eyes sitting across the table from him like we were you can definitely tell that he's sincere in the things that he's talking about Mm -hmm. and you can you can tell that this happened to him he's reporting it as it happened and i don't think he's i don't know if he's really maybe in his own mind he's got some judgments but he's kind of leaving you to make the judgment there's also the fact that there's, I think, five or six other guys that were with him that night that saw him approach this craft, and ne- ne- they they took um, polygraph tests back in the 70s, back after it happened. One of the guys was in, was inconclusive, but the other rest of them Some passed of them have passed the multiple colors. times. And yeah. in 40 years, none of them have changed their story. They've never changed their story. None of them have story. taken bribes to do you know, to tell a different story or to, to spin it a different way. And I mean, that, that's just says loads to me. Right. They offered that one guy, uh, Steve Pierce, they offered him the Philip glass guy offered him $10,000 to, uh, say that everybody was lying. He's 17 years old, uh, 17, 18 years old at the time. And well, maybe a little older. I think this is in like 1980 that this happened. When he actually tried to offer him the money, but like he didn't go for it, and ten thousand dollars, a lot of money. Yeah, a lot of money. More for so me. back then. Yeah, I could use ten thousand dollars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's uh, so something definitely happened there, and 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 you could you could if if it was just a point of. Well, I saw all aliens and they were, you know, they were all the little gray guys and and all this kind of thing. Well, I would think that, you know, as I think of that as being a spiritual encounter, something like that. But Travis's is more because, like we said, he saw humans. He saw human beings. So I think that there's more going on here. And And as I've kind of maintained, I think what we're dealing with is separate phenomenon. Not necessarily we've kind of lumped all this phenomenon into one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so we can have that that kind of spiritual aspect of of the little gray alien guys that they you know that the people that take mushrooms will also see, right. not just the alien abductees. And then you've got uh, and then you've got the possibility of some organization, breakaway civilization, whatever the hell it is, that's out there and flying stuff around. So these are two actually separate things, but they've been lumped together into the total UFO phenomenon. And then you've also got the military vehicles aspects of it. And mm-hmm. you've got, yeah. And it's, people always want like a simple, concise way to wrap things up. And I don't think that that's usually the case. I mean, if you look around at the way things work, it's, it's usually, especially something this broad, 
you know, is not going to be summed up by just one simple little easy to digest answer. Right. So I think it probably is multiple things at work. And and we looked at that. I showed you the Wikipedia thing that that Horton who I guess two four nine. Yeah. That uh, Jarmo was talking about, and yeah, it looks like a flying saucer, man. If you saw that thing in nineteen forty seven, particularly like the one that um, what's the name? Kenneth Arnold saw. Yeah. If you if you saw that thing and you had no idea what it is, and they wouldn't have any idea what it is. I mean, man, if you saw a stealth airplane in nineteen forty seven, you'd be like, that's a from another planet, dude. right? You know, it looked like a manta ray. Yeah, <laughs> just like flying over, <laughs> making no sound. I mean, that's that right there. Uh, Paradise Symposium. We had a good time. Oh, yeah, we did. It was a long-ass drive. Yeah, I spent 15 hours hanging out with Luke listening to metal music on the way back. <laughs> Thank God for him. I would have never stayed awake that whole time. I was in the other vehicle with Joe and with uh, Robert Hyde, who joined us as well. And uh, that was great. Robert pretty much pontificated all the way down to the, all the way down back to Tennessee. So <laughs> that was that was very cool. Uh, so, you know, we got there the first day. It was on a Thursday. I think we didn't do too much that day. I think we just kind of got everything kind of resituated, set back up because we got there on Wednesday night and set up. Yeah, yeah, we had everything ready to go, and we were kind of just mingling and meeting people and mm-hmm. um, sort of scheduling our interviews in at that point. Right. And then on Friday night, we actually did the interview with Randall Carlson and Laird Scranton. Uh, that was on um, – that was kind of on Laird's work and on Randall's work. Uh, we've had Laird on the show before. Randall, we're going to need to get on for a full interview. Yeah, he was – That guy was, was fascinating. He was great. Um. And then on Saturday, we sat down with Micah and Peter Robbins and Richard Dolan, which you guys have already heard that interview. That was on the last show. Uh, and also on Sunday, we sat down with Jennifer Stein and Travis Walton and Peter Robbins. In between that, we talked to Tim Dennis, which was really cool. We'll have that up as well. Um, Ed Nightingale, we talked to on on Sunday. That guy blew my mind, by the way. Yeah, I remember. I remember okay. the, the very my mind <laughs> when he told what he said. You guys will hear it in the interview when we post it up next month. But when he said what he said, that just blew my mind. You can hear the tone of Adam's voice yeah. shift for the rest yeah. of the interview. <laughs> and I wasn't too familiar <laughs> with his stuff. Like I had missed his speech because we were trying to get some stuff set up, and uh, we we missed actually a lot of the speakers. Rob and I did. We we were. Uh, Joe and Robert Moore got to see a, a lot more uh, than than we did. Um, like we missed Micah's completely. And who else did we talk to? We talked to Scott Walter. Yep. Which we sat down with him for about thirty minutes. He kind of had to run, but that was a nice kind of sweet, short little interview with him. Uh, got to give him the Georgia Guidestones movie, the uh, Dark Clouds over Elberton. Uh, Rita. Yeah, Rita Louise. Was another one that we was another we talked to. What, what, uh, I, don't, I don't think you got that by day, do we? I think that was Saturday we talked to her. Well, we did most of them on Saturday and yeah. Sunday, I believe. Yeah, it was because it was the same day as we talked to Travis because mm-hmm. there was some we were trying to figure out who to to pencil in where because yeah, I think we go. talked to her before then. Yeah, yeah. So what everybody's heard is already with the one kind of like UFOs, and we've got them kind of set up. I think we've got one that's going to be ancient mysteries. That we're going to do, I think, is going to be part two. 
Yeah, that'll be Scott, and, Edward, Laird, Randall. And then what's part three going to be? Uh, part three is sort of, I don't know how you describe that one. We got Rocky. Rocky, yeah, we talked to Rocky. Uh, Rocky, Rita, and Tim, and then uh, Scotty and John. Yeah, uh, Ro- the one we had with Rocky, I really enjoyed that one, man, because we got real philosophical on that one. Yeah, we did. Well, and he's another guy. We've we've known him for, what, a year and a half? Yeah, ish. yeah, about that. Talked to him right. quite a bit. You know, he's a, he's become a big friend of the show. and we've, Yeah, and he's head of the, one of the networks we're on, IPBN. And so. great guy. And it, it was it was good to just be able to sit down and, and do our thing with him, like, face-to-face. Yeah, I think we talked for, like, a, a solid hour. Yeah. So for Scotty coming in there and talking about their nipples, that was <laughs> the one with Scotty and John. That was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I still, I'm um, looking forward to editing that one. <laughs> this was, you got to understand these guys put a lot of work into this, yes. into this conference and they yes. had been probably going on no sleep and barely eating for days on end before they finally had a free minute to sit down with us. So needless to say, they were a little loopy at yeah. that point. Slightly. A little out of it. Slightly. And, and Robert had sat down. and uh, <laughs> Nobody knows what Robert looks like. But Robert, he, he's not Amish, but he looks like he's Amish. He has, has like a full head of hair and a full beard. He's an older gentleman. And uh, he wears suspenders and, and long pants all the time. So John John Ward was just absolutely just I think taken aback with uh, with Robert for some reason just like he he pretty much used him as the brunt of brunt of his jokes for the for through the entire thing and uh, I think what we did was like an hour with him so Rob I think you're gonna get it down well, like twenty minutes or yeah. something <laughs> like like it was ridiculous just like you know and Scotty kept falling asleep we we're hoping to get him snoring on the on the on the podcast yeah so. At least, uh, at least a little clip to give to Luke for the new intro song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we got several of those by now. <laughs> About Luke. How, how did you like Paradigm Luke? Yeah, I went for a long walk. <laughs> um, I, I can't do a Luke voice. I'm sorry. So we thought we probably were never going to see Luke again. Yeah. On Friday. Well, I, yeah, I first thing in the morning before heading to the conference, I drove the other direction. And because he really wanted to see the Mall of America, yeah. And if you listen well, to the show, it, man, you, you know how Luke is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a free spirit, born free. Yeah, if he could find a cave anywhere near the Mall of America, he'd he'd move in, and we would never see him again. <laughs> so that's why I told Adam when I finally got back, I was like, "All right, he's at the mall. That's probably it." <laughs> so describe the Mall of America for like the, what you saw, how ridiculous it was to get there, and well. Pulling into it off of the freeway, it just looks like another section of town outside of town. You go past the, the airport, and then there's this new sprawling little city vista that's just all the Mall of America. And you pull up in front of these hotels and get out, and there's elevators going everywhere and little roadways. And Yeah, I told Luke if he couldn't get right back to the exact same spot that I dropped him off that it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> And you didn't actually have to go pick him back up. I didn't know he, he just home reappeared. Or yeah. Yeah. But I, I did sit there and watch him walk away into the distance because I genuinely thought it might be the last time I saw him. <laughs> he's going to, he's going to live there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and for anybody who knows why he's not here. I mean, he, uh, he really, uh, he really did, uh, come back with us guys. So he, yeah, he, yeah. he didn't we end promise. up, uh, he, he, he ended up back in Nashville and then what was it? Uh, Saturday, yeah. Saturday, he walked all the way from our hotel 
all the way in St. Louis Park, Minnesota, all the way back to Minneapolis, all the way to Minneapolis downtown. Yeah, he said seven miles. I think yeah, it was, it was like seven <laughs> miles. He did find a greenway, I believe, for most of it. So I think that probably made it a little easy for him. He wasn't walking down the interstate and went to an art museum. And then that night they were having like their little costume and their banquet dinner that they were having. And we actually did come at like towards the end of the banquet dinner and Luke got free food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we went and downtown because we wanted, I wanted to see first Avenue because that's where, you know, Prince played. It's in the movie purple rain, you know, of course, Prince from Minneapolis, he just died. Not recently. We were going to go to Paisley park, but it was a little, a little too far away. And like 16 miles or something is going to be kind of a long drive for us. Yeah. Especially as tired as we felt. And, uh, but we went, we went over there. I saw where uh, the replace the little, there's little stars, with all the bands that have played there. I saw the replacement stars and the Husker do, which are two of my favorite bands from Minneapolis. Um, and then, uh, we were walking back to the car and that's where we, some guy offered us Coke. No, that was as soon as we got out of the car. Oh, was that as soon as we got out of the yeah, car? My first experience with downtown Minneapolis is, okay, there's nowhere here to park. Oh, finally, somewhere to park. Hop out. Instantly get offered to uh, buy some Coke. <laughs> hey, man, you want some Coke? <laughs> Obviously a party city. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it wasn't even like, there was no code word or nothing, man. It yeah. was just, it's like, hey, man, you want some Coke? <laughs> <laughs> it was funny because there was like five of us and we all just stopped and were silent. Like, uh... <laughs> Like waiting for someone else to answer. Yeah. Like, I think Luke finally said, no, no, thanks, man. Because I guess Luke knows how to deal with those guys, I suppose. So then we drove back to the, we drove back and uh, had a fun time and uh, listened to uh, Micah play with this little like fart megaphone. We'll have to tag that onto one of the, one of the uh, other uh, Paradise Symposium ones. Uh, We got to tag that on there. It's pretty funny. But, uh, and then we, uh, Monday, we uh, hung out with the Micah a little bit and then came back to Nashville, a 14-hour drive. Got back and... It's not bad compared to the 16-hour drive on the way up. Yeah. Yeah, we were pretty tired on the way up. So it was a good experience. Uh, I just want to say uh, I want to thank Scotty and I want to thank John for putting on a good paradigm. You know, they they had had their problems they had to cancel in 2015. We were all stoked in October to go. And then all of a sudden, oh, we got the word that it didn't happen. And Scotty has explained this on the show about how they just did not have the money to pay the hotel. Uh, things had not fallen through for them. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, well, sometimes it gets to a point where you got to make a call. And it's, yep. I mean, someone has got to be the one that makes that call and be the villain. So. And and they called and, and and Scotty, hey Scotty, got a lot of flack about that. He got called a con man. Uh, a lot of accusations got got flown flown around. But you know, Scotty is just a, he's a normal guy. He he just had a dream that he wanted to do something. And if anything, and he's admitted this, if anything, I think Scotty might have started off really high. In 2012 with Giorgio Sukulis, Eric Von Daniken, all the cast of Ancient Aliens. And then it, after that, it was just hard to top it. And so it was just a snowball effect all the way to 2015. But 
these guys, they pulled it out of their ass, man, because it went really well. Uh, everybody was really supportive. Everybody that was there had a great time. The venue was great. Uh, the Masons, these Templar Masons, whatever the Scottish Rite, whatever they are, uh, they they helped Scotty. Uh, they helped him with the food. They gave him a place to do it. You know, Scotty had done so much for them in the past. They returned the favor for him. And so it was, it turned out to be a good uh, conference. I was very, you know, a little trepidation, of course, going up there. I think, Rob, you did too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because we, you know, drove all this time. We'd spent, we spent money. Well, we're taking time off of work. We're burning vacation days that could have been spent with our families. We're. Yep. You know, we're we're now making an investment in it ourselves and mm-hmm. not really knowing what we were getting fully into. So, but I was I was really satisfied with it and I really think, you know, Scotty and and John, they they picked the uh they pulled victory out of the jaws of defeat mm-hmm. basically. And I don't think there's going to be another paradigm symposium. I don't think it's going to happen not unless somebody jumps in to, to help them. To help refuel it, yeah. I think, yeah. But I think too, you know, that there are others out there that could get things like that started in their in their hometowns. And but there's obviously enough interest in it that something yeah. new might rise up out of it too. Right, a phoenix from the ashes. So again, I want to commend them. And uh, you know, mismatched chairs aside, someone was actually criticizing them for having. I'm not going to say who it was. I'm not going to say who it was, but. They were actually criticized. One of their criticisms of Scotty was that they had mismatched chairs. Really? <laughs> like anybody cares. I care so much. I didn't even you know notice. What? They were kind of panicking because there was a, there was a hotel without a bar. I know that was a concern for Scotty and John. They were panicking about the super eight, not having a lobby, but you know what? Everybody went over to the bar right across the street. Yep. We could walk, you know, everything I think worked out fine. So thank you, Scotty. Thank you, John, for putting on an awesome paradigm symposium 2016. And I believe, I think we're going to call it yep. because in a couple of hours, we got another interview to do. Yeah, we do. We're busy guys. We are. Uh, so guys, thank you so much. I want to thank Jarman Puskala for coming on and uh, guys check out iron sky and iron sky two when it comes out in, what was it next year? Yep. <laughs> So, you know, anything else you want to say, Rob, before we jump out? Nope. All right. Let's uh, call it. And, guys, join us next week, a couple hours for us, on Conspiranormal. Finland, Finland, Finland. The country where I want to be Pony trekking or camping Or just watching TV Finland, Finland, Finland It's the country for me You're so near to Russia So far from Japan Quite a long way from Cairo Lots of miles from Vietnam Finland, Finland, Finland The country where I want to be Eating breakfast or dinner Or snack lunch in the hall
Finland has it all You're so sadly neglected And often ignored up a second to Belgium When going abroad Finland, Finland, Finland A country where I quite want to be A mountain so lofty Yet three tops so tall Finland, 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 Finland has it all. Well, together, Finland files. Finland, 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 the country where I quite want to be. Your mountains so lofty, your treetops so tall. Finland, 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 Finland has it all. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.